your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 17 to 20, Ephesians 6, page 979 in the Blue Bible, 979, Ephesians 6. We've been doing a short series in On the Armor of God, and this will be the final installment of that, the third installment of that. And so we'll read once again verses 10 through 20, and then we will begin. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. May the Lord bless his holy word tonight. Let's pray. O Lord God, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word now, and we pray, as one wisely has said, that what we know not, that you would teach us, what we have not, that you would give to us, what we are not, that you would make us, for the sake of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the color yellow is often associated with the caution. You would see yellow street signs, you see yellow lines on the street, you see flashing yellow lights, you see yellow caution tape all over the place. And perhaps you've done this when you had young children or have young children in the car and you're driving along and there's a stoplight and you say to the kids, red means stop. And they say stop. And green means go. And then yellow means Yes, my wife knows the answer. Step on the gas. Especially if you live in the lower mainland. That's what the yellow light means. Step on the gas. No, really, it means caution. Prepare to stop. That's what we should be doing when we see that yellow light happening there. Navy SEALs in the United States military and other military personnel are trained in situational awareness. And so they are trained to live in the yellow. And what that means simply stated, this living in the yellow idea is just an awareness of caution that you have as you go about your your business, whether it's as a soldier, whether you're pumping gas, whether you're doing grocery shopping, you are constantly aware of what is happening around you. The people that are around you, what are they doing, who they are, different things that are going on. This situational awareness is what they call living in the yellow. You should be living in a state of caution all the time because you never know when something is going to happen. Now, that doesn't mean that you are to walk around being paranoid. It doesn't mean that you are to constantly be thinking that the sky is falling and somebody is 
willing and ready to attack you. But things do happen in which we need to be ready and aware of what's going on. We need to be ready to defend our own lives and the lives of those that we love around us. Now, as Christians, we are not Navy SEALs. But as Christians, we should have an awareness of the schemes of the devil. A constant awareness that if we are weak in a certain area, that he is going to be willing to attack us. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 6, that Paul tells us the same thing when it comes to our spiritual lives. We need to be living in the yellow, under that state of alert and caution that we see here. Constantly alert because the devil is, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so we need to be on the alert, on the ready, and able to engage in combat when the need arises. Now in sermon number one of this short three-part series, we covered verses 10 to 13. And there we noted that when we become Christians, when we become followers of Christ, we have a great inheritance that comes along with that. But also we inherit something else. We inherit God's enemy, Satan. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we are engaged in a battle. We've stepped into the light and stepped onto a battlefield. And we are to engage in that battle as the Westminster Confession of Faith reminds us that the Christian is in a continual and irreconcilable war. It's unavoidable, it's unending, and it's irreconcilable. We will battle until the death, until we die. And so God does not leave us defenseless as we are engaged in this battle. He gives us weapons, and the Apostle Paul tells us that we are to put on these weapons, to put on the armor of God, to be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might, remembering and to have courage, knowing that He who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I believe that in every sermon in this series, I've mentioned the great book by William Gurnall, The Christian in Complete Armor. And the subtitle of that book is The Saints' War Against the Devil. Now, it's roughly 1,200 pages long. It's in two volumes. It's an excellent book that goes into this passage that we've just read, uh, roughly 1,200 pages on these 10 verses that we see here. And it is a great, great read. But he reminds us of the confidence that we should have in our Lord and in the gospel. And he says this, that we must not confide in the armor of God, but in the God of the armor, because all our weapons are only mighty through God. Our confidence isn't in the armor. It's in the God who is giving us and enabling us to put on and to act in ways in keeping with the armor. And so we must be ready. We must be in that constant state of awareness and that constant alert of what's going on around us, what's going on inside of us, what we are allowing. Spiritual battles must be fought with spiritual weapons. And so we are to put on the full armor of God in this engagement. And so Paul lists for us in verses 13 to 17, which we looked at two weeks ago, in verses 13 to 17, he tells us what we are to put on, what, we are, what is composed in this armor. And he says, put on the belt of truth. That's a readiness to know the truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That's a readiness to live the truth. The shoes of the gospel of peace. That's a readiness to take the truth. And then we see the shield of faith. That's a readiness to believe the truth. 
And then we see the helmet of salvation. That's a readiness to remember the truth. And then tonight, we look at the sword of the Spirit. That's a readiness to wield the truth, to use this weapon of truth that we have in God's Word. And so that is the first. We'll begin where we left off last time at the end of verse 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now up to this point, all of the recommended equipment that we've been given here is defensive. But now the Apostle Paul puts forth something that we can go on the offensive with. The Word of God. And much could be said about the Word of God. We could go many different directions in this portion of the sermon. We could say that God's Word is inspired, which it is. It's infallible. It's inerrant. It's sufficient. It's effective. It's authoritative. All of these things. And it's also complete. We see that at the end of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 22, that we are not to add to or to take away from God's Word. John, the last living apostle has written with finality and closed the canon of scripture. You may have been with us over the last several weeks. We finished up the series on the canon of the New Testament. It was an excellent series on that and reinforces the confidence that we have in God's word when we look at it in these ways. But with the death of the final apostle, the apostle John, that was it. The canon was closed. That was it with the prophetic authoritative writings. The canon was complete at that particular time. Now, when we look at the life of a Roman soldier and all of the equipment that we've been looking at that he carries with him, we look tonight at this sword. And the sword, you've probably seen pictures of it. This would be the short sword that he would carry on his belt. It would be a smaller sword, roughly 18 to 24 inches long, a two-edged sword. And he would carry that, and it would be something that he could quickly take and use with great effectiveness with great precision in a battle. If he was confronted with hand-to-hand combat, he could take this sword out very quickly and use it with precision. And so the Word of God is that for us. The Word of God is a defensive weapon, but it especially is effective for us when we go on the offense. The Word of God is called the sword of the Spirit because it's given by the Spirit. We see that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We see that in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And it's because the Spirit applies the Word to our heart that it is the sword of the Spirit. So we are to handle the Word of God. We are to take out the sword of the Spirit. We are to apply the Word of God to our own hearts by the power of the Spirit and hold it forth wherever we go. Applying it to ourselves, applying it to those around us, applying it even to the things we're confronted with in our culture. And we see in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We are to take the two-edged sword, we are to take it out and we are to use it. And with it, as Matthew Henry says, we are to assault the assailants. We can go on the offensive with it. We can assault the assailants. Those who are seeking to attack God and his credibility and his word, we can use it to be able to go into combat. We can go onto the offensive in this way. Our culture wants us to keep the sword hidden away. Our culture wants us to keep the sword hidden in our belt but we are to take it out and we are to use it. We are to uncover it. We take it out 
and we use it and apply it. And so by using it, Paul, the Apostle Paul, using the Word of God, him and his associates had seen many incredible victories. And when we use God's Word, we too can see victories in our own lives and hearts as we meditate upon it daily. We can see it have victories in the culture around it as we confront the culture with God's Word and the claims that God makes in His Word. So how do we use it? Well, here are a few different ways. In the Word, God exposes the sinful condition of man. The Spirit uses it to convict of sin and of righteousness and of our need for a Savior in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to submit to Him and with thankfulness and praise to acknowledge that He is our Lord and our King. And then through it, we can use it to combat the doubts and the fears that we have as Christians. When they come along, we can use it. We can take this sword out and use it. We can pick it up and we can read it and we can believe it, that it's not just a book written for someone 2,000 years ago, but that it applies to us here today, sitting here tonight. And when we do that, we are engaged in the battle. We are dispelling the darkness. We are engaged against Satan and his demons in this way. We are engaged in the fight. So Jesus did this, right? When he was tempted in the wilderness, he used the sword of the word to engage with Satan in the battle. Jesus was in a battle, and we too are in a battle. We too are in a war in this world. And so we are to reach out our hands, and we are to take the sword of the Spirit and wield it, to use it. Now there's no other way. It's indispensable part of the equipment of us as Christian soldiers. We have to use the Word of God as we engage in the battle. The Word is vital, but there's also something else this passage tells us that is also essential in our battle, and that is prayer. We see that in verses 18 to 19, and we see the repetition of praying. We see the repetition of all, and it reads like this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Prayer, essential part of our Christian warfare. Many of you know and love the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And in that, he has a weapon called all prayer. And you may remember that as he's, as he's going through the valley of the shadow of death, he takes out all prayer and he uses it. And it's kind of like a nuclear bomb just to detonate everything and to squash all of his enemies, to vanquish all enemies that he has in the valley of the shadow of death by praying. There's many different stories that we could talk about in church history and in the Bible about prayer. And I I love the missionary Hudson Taylor who went to inland China. And he was remarkable for many different reasons. And one of them is because he was a great man of the word and of prayer. And it's said in one of his biographers' recounts that, that when he was traveling month after month in northern China by cart and by wheelbarrow and staying at the poorest of the inns at night, after those he was with had fallen asleep and all was quiet, they would hear a match strike and see the flicker of candlelight which told them that Mr. Taylor, however weary, was poring over the little Bible in two volumes always at hand. 
From 2 to 4 a.m. was the time he usually gave to prayer, the time that he could be most sure of being undisturbed to wait upon God. That weapon of all prayer that John Bunyan used, that weapon of all prayer that Hudson Taylor used, is the same weapon that we can use in our battle as we wage warfare against the evil one. Are we using it? As you reflect on this day, yesterday, this past week, are you using the weapon of all prayer in your daily living? When various thoughts come into your mind, are you praying to dispel those things? Are you using all prayer as kind of a detonator to get rid of those things and dispel them? Are you using the weapon of prayer to engage in the battle that you are called to be in? And again, that is not an optional battle. When you step into the kingdom of light, when you become a Christian, you step onto the battlefield. And so we all must be engaged in that battle. And so as we read verses 18 to 20, it becomes very clear that the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us that the reality is that we can, we can only triumph against Satan when we engage in the Word and in prayer. We can have these other pieces of weaponry, but we must be engaged in a life of prayer and in the Word. And so to this point, Paul has mentioned these various aspects of the armor in passing, but here in prayer, he goes into a much greater detail. Again, mentioning it several times as opposed to just one time with the other pieces of the armor. And he says there, praying at all times. So we need to make time for prayer. All times is a good time for prayer. We need to pray continually to the Lord when we're driving, when we're on our, walking on our way to school, if we are, whatever we're doing in our daily tasks and chores, we should be praying along with doing those particular tasks at all times. There's nothing too small or too great that we can't bring it to the Lord. We're to bring everything to the Lord. We can bring everything to Him. And so we need to pray at all times and we also need to pray in the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? It's not something charismatic. It simply means to pray with the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit. It means that we are guided by Him when we pray. We can be impressed with different things as we pray. We can be reminded of people to pray for while we are praying. In this way, the Holy Spirit is guiding us. We are praying in the Spirit. And then we are to keep on praying. We are to be persistent in our praying with all prayer and supplication. Again, that's in verse 18. Many times we see that Jesus withdrew from the disciples. He withdrew and he even didn't heal people or feed people. He would go off to pray, to be alone with God the Father. And so we see that Jesus did this, the Apostle Paul did this, and we should do it too. We should be persevering in our prayers. We should be remembering to pray for loved ones who are lost and not give up hope and continually take them to the throne of God's grace. To not give up and to think that it's useless. God hasn't answered by now. He's never going to. But to persist in our praying, to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking, to keep persevering in our prayers, to delight ourselves in the Lord and He will give us the desires of our heart. And then fourthly, we see here that we are to pray for one another. That's a great thing to be a part of the family of God. You have people to pray with, you have people, people to pray for, and you have people that will pray for you as you engage in your battle. Remember we looked 
at the shield of faith that we link together with those shields of faith to quench those fiery darts that are aimed at us. We do this together as the people of God. And so we are to pray for other Christians who are engaged in the same spiritual battle that we are. No one is immune from the battle, and so we need to lift one another up. And maybe there's somebody else who's going through a much more intense battle than you are right now, and so you need to especially be praying for them. In verse 19, we see that Paul also asked prayers for himself, that he would be able to boldly speak the gospel, that he'd be able to boldly see the gospel advancing, whether he was in prison or out of prison, that was his desire to see the gospel go forward. And so we need to pray for one another. The Apostle Paul asked for prayer. Surely all of us need prayer as well. And it is a great thing to think about the various prayer ministries that we have as a church. There's two ladies' prayer meetings that go on. And if you're a lady, please join those. I'm sure there's always room for more to be able to engage in this spiritual warfare of prayer. Very important, and I appreciate that. Also in our small groups, we have a time that we set aside for prayer. It's a very important part of our prayer groups. We need to lift up the cares and the concerns of one another. We need to engage God's people. We are not alone as we battle. Everything in our life needs to become an opportunity for prayer. Every endeavor we undertake is an opportunity to pray. Every battle we are encountered with is an opportunity to pray. Every person that we talk to that's struggling is an opportunity for us to lift them up before the Lord and pray for them. And so we need to pick a time. We need to pick a place. We need to have a plan because if we don't plan, it often doesn't happen. And so we need to use the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now with the seven or so minutes that we have left, I just want to focus in on a particular area of application. One main point of application as we close our time in this series, just to recap a little bit and then to focus in on one main point. And one main point is clearly this, that we will defeat the devil and his powers. We will live as becomes the followers of Christ We will enjoy the blessing of God to the extent that every day we remind ourselves of our union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's critical as we engage in the battle that we remember who we are and whose we are. Living in full confidence of all that God has done for us, given to us and promised to us. Believing. Believing, not living in unbelief. Every Christian knows that we often don't live this way in full confidence in all that God has done for us, given to us, and promised to us. We often don't live that way. We often succumb to the sin of unbelief. We often don't have full confidence in what God is doing, not firmly believing the reality of the new life that Christ has given to us, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus, absolutely convinced that every promise God has made to us will be kept and kept perfectly every single one of them. Far too often, it's the other way, where we struggle and we live in discouragement, despondency, and unbelief, and we forget what God has done. We forget what He has given. We forget what He has promised to us. So how do we fight against that? How do we fight against our adversary? 
while the Scottish pastor Thomas Guthrie said this, that the Bible is an armory of heavenly weapons, a laboratory of infallible medicines, a mine of exhaustless wealth. It is a guidebook for every road, a chart for every sea, a medicine for every malady, a balm for every wound. Do you agree with that? Does your life show that you believe that? In the way that you engage with God's Word, in the way that you engage with prayer, in the way that you remind yourself continually of your union with Christ and all that Christ has purchased for us? How does the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God help us as we battle, as we engage? Let's put that statement from Thomas Guthrie to a bit of a test. Let's put what we've been saying here to a bit of the test. How do we wield the sword? The devil is a schemer. We looked at that in verse 12. The devil has schemes. He has ways to try to get us off track. He will strategize. What has God given us? What has Christ given us to combat this? What promises can we combat various things that come along our way? What about the devil's scheme when he tells us and reminds us uh, that we are lonely in life? Maybe we're feeling isolated and alone. Many Christians do. They feel isolated and alone. And there could be good reason for that. If you've removed yourself from the fellowship, if you are not engaged with God's people, then yes, you can feel very isolated and alone. But sometimes Satan will come along with his schemes and tell us that we are alone. No one struggles the way that you do. No one sins the way that you do. And so what do we do when this type of scheme happens to us? How do we answer the evil one in those moments? We put on the armor of God. We take up the sword. We pick up the sword and remind ourselves that Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can combat loneliness with the word of God. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. For I am the Lord, your God. The presence of our God is always with us. And we can lie to ourselves sometimes thinking that we are isolated and alone. When Satan would cause you to be discouraged and sad and tempts you to think that you will be crushed by the weight of the world and your disappointment is moving to discouragement and then to despondency, what can you do? You can take up the armor of God. You can pick up the sword for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We walk by faith and not by sight. We pick up the sword. When the serpent of old brings against you great temptations and you don't know how you're going to withstand them, how can you resist? Well, you pick up the armor of God. You take up the sword of the Spirit. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Another example, when he accuses you and reminds you of your sin and makes you wonder how God could possibly love someone as wicked as you, as rebellious as you, as unworthy as you, as unprofitable as you are, 
what do you do? How do you answer? You put on the armor of God. You take up the sword of the Spirit. To the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. When the devil entices you with money, with sex, with entertainment, with the allurements of this world that promise so much and deliver us so little, what do we do? Well, I think you're getting the idea. We put on the armor of God. We take up the sword of the Spirit. What does it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? When Satan begins to cripple you with the fear of death, what do you do? Put on the armor of God. Take up the sword of the Spirit. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Today you shall be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord which is far better. We take up the sword and we could go on and on. We could be here all night applying to different scenarios. And you can do this on your own at home when various things attack you in your mind and you're thinking about something, dwelling on something and it's pressing in on you. Pick up the sword of the Spirit. Use the weapon of all prayer and dispel those things in that way. No matter what the problem is, what the affliction is, the temptation, no matter what scheme Satan tries on you, the gospel has the answer for us. And so we need to put on the full armor of God and remember the words of William Gurnall. In heaven we shall appear, not in armor, but in robes of glory. What a great quote that is. One day we will put down our weapons of warfare We'll be robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be received into his presence. Here we are living in the yellow under a constant state of alert. But there we will put down these weapons and receive pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we we know your promises. We can dwell on your promises. And yet sometimes it is difficult for us to enact them, make them practical, and to actually use these weapons of warfare that you have given to us to combat. And yet that is your chosen method for us. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of the word. And so we ask that you would deepen our understanding of these things. You would deepen our relationship with you. You would deepen and enrich our prayer lives. You would deepen and enrich our times in your word that we would not minimize these things. We would not live in unbelief thinking that they've not worked in the past. They will not work in the present or the future. Lord, forgive us of our unbelief and help us to believe your promises that all that you've promised to it, to us, you will accomplish perfectly to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.